0: Today's episode of No Guitar Is Safe features a spectacular guitar player that many of you have been requesting. His name is Guthrie Trapp. He's from Nashville. Guthrie has worked with more headliners than you can probably count, and he has a spectacular new record coming out as well. It's called Life After Dark, comes out on March 9th, most people won't hear it till then, but Today, you're hearing samples of it. And the reason you get to hear samples of it is because there's a killer new microphone out from Audio-Technica called the AT2020 USB+. Plus. You might know the original AT2020, the critically acclaimed microphone with its award-winning sound and studio-quality articulation. Well, this new AT2020 USB Plus is perfect for singer-songwriters and podcasters, guitarists, voiceover artists, field recorders, home studio recordists, because it's also equipped with a USB output that lets you capture the audio source straight into your favorite recording software. This thing is super hip. It actually has a headphone jack on it with a volume control that allows you to monitor the signal going in with zero latency. It also has a mix control so you can blend in your microphone signal with pre-recorded audio. It has a tripod desk stand with folding legs, so it just sits there perfectly on a tabletop. But, of course, it also has a cardioid pickup pattern that delivers excellent off-axis rejection, and it has a high-quality AD converter, you know, 16-bit, 44.1-slash-48 kilohertz sampling rate. And you know that your friends at Audio-Technica like to give away stuff, and they're doing that here, too. You can soon enter to win the AT2020 USB Plus microphone at... Guitarplayer.com slash contest slash Guthrie. That's guitarplayer.com slash contest slash G U T H R I E. So with that, I'm Jude Gold, and we're going to head over to Guthrie's Hotel. He's got a nice suite there for us, meaning there's like a living room area where we can jam out a little bit through some practice amps. We're each playing like Telecaster-style guitars, and the reason he has such a nice hotel room is because he has such a cool boss on this run. On this day, which was two weeks ago here in Los Angeles, he was in town with the amazing John Oates, one half of Holland Oates. John was doing his new tour for his solo album, which is called Arkansas. And they're doing all this awesome Americana stuff slash country. And I got to tell you, I don't think I've heard a more exquisite sound come off of a club stage in L.A. than when these Nashville cats were up there backing John Oates, including, of course, Guthrie Trapp, today's guest. Even the silences were just as powerful as the notes, you know? Everyone's just really listening to the song. That's that Nashville thing. And it was amazing to behold. Gotta thank Aaron Cook at Jensen Communications for making this whole thing happen. And wow, what a treat to see all of them on the famous Troubadour stage on Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. So, with that, let's go plug in with Guthrie at his hotel. It's cool, we're super relaxed. It's before sound check, and we're just hanging out. So let's fire up the copter, put that sucker on the roof of that building, and get the guitars out. I'm Jude Gold. Thanks for listening. No guitar is safe. Episode 67. We dropped the copter here in West Hollywood. I'm hanging right here with Guthrie Trapp, in from Nashville. My gosh, he has one of the best new guitar records I've heard in a long time. And I'm not just saying that because he's staring at me right now with his badass (laughs) (laughs) Telecaster-looking... What guitar is that? That's the Russ Paul Jr. (laughs) I swear to you, this record is amazing. You're listening to tracks from it right now. It's an incredible guitar record. has an astounding array of great singers on it, too, including Jimmy Hall, Vince Gill the McCrary sisters, and it's got some great players on it, such as Sam Bush, Paul Franklin, the amazing steel player. This is off the hook. I really have a good feeling about this record because everything on this is a song. It's not just a shred fest or something like that. Although there's there's nothing wrong with a good shred fest once in a while. And, of course, if you don't know about Guthrie Trapp, I mean, the list of people that you have worked with, my friend, is nuts. I Got You Down as work with Garth Brooks, Lyle Lovett, of course, Patti Loveless. You played on some of her uh, Grammy-winning stuff. George Jones, Dolly Parton, Don Kelly House Band, Legendary in Nashville. We'll get into some of this stuff. Steve Cropper, the man. And, of course, you played a lot with... Uh, One of my favorite players on earth, Jerry Douglas, four Mm -hmm. years in his band. It's just nuts, man. Thanks for being here today, Guthrie.
1: It's my pleasure, Uh, Jude. Can't wait to get into some great conversations and, and have a chance to pick a little bit with you. And, dude, I know how it is. Fitting it in before a sound check, and
0: then you got the gig, and then you're back on another airplane tomorrow, going to San Francisco, where I'm originally from. So oh, awesome! So I really appreciate you uh, sandwiching us in for some guitar time today,
1: man. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine, and looking forward to playing the Troubadour tonight with uh, with Sam and and uh, and and Paul Franklin on the gig. It's gonna be fun.
0: You're in town because you're playing with. John Oates, legendary half of the hugest duo in rock pop history, Hall (laughs) & Oates, and you're all over his new record, which is called Arkansas, and he's doing a tour, and you're bouncing around from city to city, Mm -hmm. and you're fitting in some Guitar Player Magazine time. I love it. Uh, uh,
1: Me too. You know, I I wanted to take the time to do this, and and, uh, thanks to Aaron Cook for introducing us, and and Jude, thanks for taking the time to meet with me. (laughs) ¶¶
0: That's a cool guitar. Yeah, old sir. I have a fender telly too, but Yeah, that's an older sir, isn't it? It's trying to look old. Yeah, it's cool. It's about five years old. It's all, you know, fully kind distressed, relict. And then um this thing to me has a really great telly tone from what I know about tellies. Uh
1: huh. It does. <laughs>
0: but it really feeds back on if I ever want to do a high gain kind of song. Just...
1: You know the, the one thing I do know about like for the for my personal taste, I like guitars that don't have Overwound pickups yeah or that are super hot you know they work great for hard rock and metal and stuff but for for rootsy stuff like country and blues and and that kind of stuff i really like having pickups that are pretty much stock kind of stock you know and that's probably what you're digging about that guitar is they're probably pretty stock pickups like the pickups on this russ paul guitar that he he made he hand winds he makes his own pickups it's got a strap pickup in the front and then a telly classic telly pickup in the back but the one in the back is almost microphonic. Like if you tap yeah. on the body, you get this real that's kind of live. You know, what, yeah, that's what's going on with mine, too. And, but, it's, but they sound great. I know. When they're almost on the verge of being too microphonic, that's like the Roy Buchanan tone and that kind of stuff is like really, it's an awesome sound. But yeah, that can yeah. be a little finicky. That guitar, yeah,
0: man. Tell us about it. It looks like a '50s classic Telecaster, but it ain't.
1: Well, no. So my my number one guitar that I had for like, you know, fourteen or fifteen years, I had it refretted, and it completely changed the whole guitar. It made it feel really weird to me. It made it kind of stiff feeling, and it just kind of took the 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 worn in feel of the guitar away. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. So that guitar's in the shop getting refretted for probably like the third time right now. Oh, okay. And then so I started... um, What's that guitar? That's a Floyd. And this guy used to work at Joe Glazer's shop, and he made uh, a handful of guitars. Um, And I got lucky to get one of the best ones he made. Kenny Vaughn has a couple of them and some different guys in town. But uh, I love that guitar. And then Russ Paul, the uh, famous steel guitar player in Nashville, does a lot of sessions. He started building these guitars. So I've got two of his. One of them's gold with some uh, bound neck and a Firebird pickup in the front that he winds and then a classic Tele pickup in the back. Uh, That's a very cool, unique guitar, and I'll send you a photo of that. And then this guitar is one I picked up from him uh, not too long ago that I I haven't even paid for yet. I'm just kind (laughs) of trying it out, but I'm I'm really digging it. And it looks a a lot like uh, Marty Stewart's number one that he had from Clarence White, the double B-bender, you know, the double thick two bodies with the B-Bender prototype kind of thing that he did that he had from Clarence White but that's what this guitar looks like if you know for tobacco sunburst it's kind of a tobacco sunburst heavy relic strap pickup in the front black strap pickup in the front and uh, these, I love the way these pickups sound. He really, he yeah. really does a good job. I know we're
0: only running through little uh, baby amps here, rolling cubes,
1: but can, yeah. you, can we hear that for a second. Just, yeah, absolutely. You got to stretch
0: out those strings. You just put them on. I, I
1: you know. got a show tonight. I know it. Let me find my pick, and I'll be good to go. Here, let's see. Yeah. Okay. So here's the front pickup.
0: nice you're the kind of you're the kind of player that can just make any any amp sound killer man oh man thanks
1: fantastic what else do you do with that guitar tone wise uh well we have a little bit of a, a slightly kind of little bit of a you know overdriven sound on the amp but a lot of times I would probably do uh, like maybe some funk rhythm on the on the middle s- s- uh, selector where I'm using both pickups you yeah. know the telly middle position and that would sound something like this you know <laughs> Tough. some kind of funk rhythm and then maybe like a country solo uh, possibly on the middle uh, position um, but a lot of times I'll stick to like the, either the front or the back depending if I'm playing like a classic country shuffle like uh, I might use the middle position for the rhythm part like uh, let's see You know, you're kind of doing that kind of like little kind of a shuffle pattern on the guitar and then for the solo for you know playing that kind of stuff I would probably uh, start on the front pickup you know and play something like uh, uh
0: what kind of strap pickup that
1: is that you're playing right there in the neck position? Well, Russ hand-wound it.
2: Oh, he makes it himself.
1: Yeah, he makes the pickups himself. So he he hand-wound that, which is just a uh, nice-sounding pick. (laughs) And then the back, you know, for... Uh, you know, staying with the country shuffle kind of thing You can still, you know, you can go from uh, From that nice front pickup Almost a jazz or a swing kind of vibe Because it is a shuffle uh, You go to the back pickup And you got that whole thing uh, yeah. These brand new strings Are stretching a little bit But that's Mm -hmm. That'd be kind of The back pickup Sound there Uh
0: When you're doing your uh, hybrid stuff, do you do you actually use your fingernails? Like right in that last run, you were using your middle finger on your mm-hmm. picking hand, and also your ring finger. You, are you using your fingernails on those, or just your tips? Or you know, yeah,
1: some? so so what I like to do is if I'm, I'll, I'll give you the. This is kind of a long answer, but if I'm if I'm playing anything kind of like jazz oriented, where I'm or flat picking like something like that, I'll use just the pick, and that'll sound like you know like some single note lines. You know where I'm playing like a. Or, uh, that'd be like just the pick. And then when I start incorporating the more like the triads and the and the double stops and stuff like that. Then I'm using my pick and my middle finger and my ring finger. Now looking
0: and, at that, you looks like you got like a Fender medium or some kind of typical...
1: I'm using a typical D'Addario Planet Waves uh, Fender style medium pick. And I, the reason I like those picks is because the way that they press them, there's no hard edges on. There's no flat edges or anything because that sounds really harsh to me. So these picks I love because they're really rounded off. It's kind of like having a fingernail. And uh, I like the medium because it gives you just enough flexibility to where it, it's, it doesn't feel stiff, but it's also stiff enough to where you can have a nice uh, attack on the note. I use the, uh, the, the rounded edge of the pick, not the sharp, uh, you know not the point right you don't use a point but um what as far as the fingernails go uh, yeah I like to have a little bit of nail like I've got there just to where the top of the nail is kind of you know a millimeter above the flesh of your finger yeah. and what it is is, just I'm using a little bit of the nail and a little bit of the flesh of my fingertip together so the fingernail kind of just reinforces that and gives it a little bit of attack so I don't use fake nails, which a lot of people think, you know, all the country guys use fake yeah. nails. I just use my natural nails until they break off, and then they grow back, and then you've got a nice nail again. But they will yeah. break off. You'll get to a point where they'll get a little snag on there, and you'll just... Depending on how many shots people buy the band. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we're, hey, we're an alcohol-free band. We'll take as much free alcohol as you want to give us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there so that's go. the deal. And then, and then sometimes I'll even use my little finger. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll use the whole chordal thing where you're kind of playing these, you know so i'll use my whole um my whole hand for that you know we're using like a 13 chord where i'm using my pick for the bass note and then my other three fingers that are free for the for the but like yeah. brent will use a thumb pick brent mason and brent mason so that you know coming from chet atkins and jerry reed and all the finger pickers They use a thumb pick, which frees up their first finger, and then they've got the thumb pick, and then they've got four extra fingers to be able to use. So he developed this technique that's like thumb first finger, which is extremely fast. Yeah. So that's a pretty good technique, too. That's but I, vicious. All the, you know, he grew up with Jerry Reed and Chet Atkins being his influences, and I grew up with Tony Rice and a lot of bluegrass players, so I t- tend to play more of the flat pick and the blues rock stuff and whatever, but and jazz, so I tend to like the pick and the three, the three fingers kind of technique there. But, yeah, it comes yeah. in handy. I mean, I find that technique coming in no matter what style of music I'm playing. I mean... Um, you know unless it's just a real straight up uh like bebop kind of jazz flavor or swing feel then i'm using less chicken picking techniques or whatever hybrid techniques but you know that comes in handy with even like latin stuff where you're doing these big wide chords uh Just, it's just—it's a great—it's te- yeah, oh, yeah. a great technique where you can kind of get a lot of,
0: a lot of stuff going on. Fingers, man, we get—they're there. We might as well use them. Yeah, we was, might as well use them. Well, you are just a phenomenal player, Guthrie. Thanks, oh, thanks for man. being on the show. I really want to get some of your story, but mm-hmm. first, let's take another listen to these tracks on your album. Absolutely, yeah. Just so much. There's not a dud on this album. Every song is not only amazing, but it also there's like a story behind each one in terms of. Oh, like thanks. who you have on it. hmm Like, for example, Mojo Working, that's just monstrous. It's uh, Jimmy thanks. Hall. Yeah, Jimmy Hall. Real quick, should we shut that door? It's up to you, yeah. You Let, to. Let's shut the door. Yeah. Hey, man, it's all part of the experience. <laughs>
1: High crime neighborhood out
0: there. You just never know, and there's... <laughs> Big city, man. Big Absolutely, city.
1: it's like literally yeah. when I come to town, I I, I can't stop thinking of that. It truly is like the Beverly Hillbillies as, my, as many times as I've been out here and played and done you know Leno or whatever stuff we're doing. It's always a mind blower to come to New York and L A and even Chicago. You know, like you know we're in Nashville, which is a growing city, but it's not it's not the top three or four. Like you go to New York, Chicago, L A, San Francisco. I mean, those are those are like yeah. real cities. Well, it seems to me there's the two guitar towns are LA and Nashville Mm -hmm.
0: I mean New York has everything but come on the jazz in
1: New York the jazz in
0: New York's pretty heavy but but yeah Nashville and LA are heavy man so how I mean we all know that the big cities are just really blowing up real estate wise and everything's getting gentrified Mm -hmm. and people are getting forced
1: out what's what's Nashville like exactly the same it's the same deal they're these neighborhoods that people thought that they would never live in are getting, you know, they're, they're building. They're uh, right behind. I just bought a, a house in East Nashville. I've got some rental property that we run the school and stuff in Berry Hill that I bought six years ago. And I bought another house in East Nashville about seven months ago. And it's a brand new house. And it's it's I'm guilty of being buying a tall and skinny, they call it, you know, which is they'll tear down one old house that's been there for 50 years and build four new ones on the lot. They learned you know, that from L.A., I think. <laughs> I guess they learned that from L.A. So then behind me, uh, some guys that have lived there for 40 years, they got bought out, and now they're building, you know, three-story houses that'll sell for $600,000 right behind the, the the alley from where I'm at. And I mean, it's a funky neighborhood. There's a train track right by there. Uh, there's a bridge right behind it. It's not It's not like a beautiful lot that these guys are building on, and they're going to charge a shitload for these houses, you know? So it's happening right there, and East Nashville is like the Brooklyn of Nashville. It's like killer indie rock scene. Everybody's super hip. I mean, in the neighborhood that I'm at, people literally not too long ago have been, there's been some shootings and robberies and this whole thing. And there's also pour-over coffee to go with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So right around the corner from my house, a 30-second walk on the corner is like a super trendy uh cafe that they that that these people from new york just opened up there's a tattoo parlor uh with this guy that's super famous who goes and gets flown all over the world to do tattoos he's got a place there have you got any tattoos yet from him i don't have any tattoos yet no i'm 39 and i don't have any tattoos but i've been thinking about getting a couple (laughs) hey well can you tell us
0: any preview of what
1: you're thinking i have no idea it's just this thought has finally entered my mind of like to maybe try to get a couple tattoos but i don't know it'd have to be something pretty special that i'll that would mean something, you know, but anyway, it's a trendy neighborhood and Nashville is very much becoming a, like a miniature version of Los Angeles where all these people are moving out there and the entertainment industry and the, and the pricing for us seems like it's getting super high, but for somebody out here that can move to Nashville, put their kids in really good schools, have a yard to them. It's like they're moving out there buying a $600,000 house and putting money in the bank. So I get it. How's the guitar
0: scene, the music scene, the music scene
1: is incredible. It's thriving in Nashville. I mean, there's probably forty thousand singer songwriters that are working in restaurants and coffee shops and whatever they're doing to make a living. And there's all these writers' nights and all these new writers and tons of young people that are there to to live the dream. You know, they're they're writing and they're setting up appointments and everybody's co writing together and the The circle of players and, and musicians is, it's pretty huge. The, the The pool's getting very very deep, you know. Well, you've kicked a serious amount of ass, man, because you're going to be working as
0: long as you want to be working. So, well, I congratulate you on everything you
1: well thank, achieved
0: on the guitar, man. <laughs>
1: thank you for saying that, man. I really appreciate it. And and the older I get, the more fortunate I I've been grateful I am that I'm able to do this and make a good living doing it. Because the fact is, is is if I was to move to Nashville now. I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to move to Nashville now and try to do what I did 17, 16 years ago.
0: I want to hear how you, you got know. to Nashville, but maybe you could just quickly tell us how you even got involved in the guitar. What made you pick it up in the first place?
1: Well, uh, I grew up on the Gulf Coast, right on the Florida-Alabama state line, and we were like the 1% of, of people that were into music and culture down there. My parents traveled a lot. Uh, my mom's from the D.C. area. My dad's from Chicago. They moved down there 40 years ago. And, uh, they, what did they
0: do professionally or...
1: My dad was in construction and fine woodworking and ended up building wooden boats down there. And then as he got older, he got into doing massage therapy. And uh, my mom has always just had, she worked for the local colleges down there and uh, worked for the Department of Agriculture in D.C. and then moved down to the Gulf Coast. but they weren't musically talented at all. My dad strums a little bit on the guitar, and my mom takes a couple guitar lessons just for fun. They're 70 years old and still kicking really good. I mean, they're in fantastic health, and they hike and do all this stuff. They're amazing people, but uh, they but they weren't players, you know, but my dad's youngest brother, uh, my uncle Jerry Trap, was a self-taught musician. He always had guitars and mandolins and uh, Dobros and all kinds of stuff laying around, you know, his music room where I hung out with him all the time after school, and I quit school two weeks into the tenth grade and never went back, never finished high school, never went to college, and I knew from when I was probably about eight years old that I wanted to be a musician of some sort, you know. Was just, there any
0: kind of moment where you really
1: fell in love with music as a kid? Yeah, I was about eight years old and I started getting into it. My, like I said, my uncle and his friends would rehearse and they had bands and and when they would go on break and and take a break they'd set their instruments down and i'd go up and pick <laughs> up the guitar crank up the amp and start you know learning how to play like you know just blues licks and stuff like that and then and then um uh i got into playing bluegrass and learn how to play the mandolin and got a gig with this local band i was like 12 years old and we played every wednesday night so as I got into my teenage years, that when the bills started to come in, like it's time for me to pay my car insurance or my or whatever your first bills are as you're a kid, I was yeah. making money playing music. I could pay my bills. And then when I was 18, we had a band on the Gulf Coast where we played all over the place. We played, you know, seven nights a week and twice on Sunday and did all the weddings and parties and all the club gigs and stuff like that. I was making really great money. I always had a big wad of cash in my sock drawer, you know, lived on the beach at 18 and 19. And when I got to be about 21 or 22, I started getting the itch to get uh, get out of my hometown. I had done everything I could do down there. And it was like, you know, a lot of people that were down on that Gulf Coast scene, the beach scene, there's a lot of partying going on. And I just knew, man, I was like, man, I've got to get out of here. Something told me I have to get out of here. Were got you me. getting pulled into the partying lifestyle? Yeah, too much, yeah absolutely. Yeah, of course. I mean, when I was a kid, yeah, there. yeah, I was on the beach and I had a change of clothes in my trunk because I didn't know where I was going to end up any night, any given night down there, you know. We were always always partying with tourists at the condos, and I mean, it was all that, it was a classic beach scene, you know? And it was a blast. I wouldn't change any of it for, for the world, right. because I've ended up where I, I belong, I guess, right. you know, f- through how, through that path. But uh, So I got an apartment in Nashville on Music Row. I knew a couple people there. How old um, were you then? About 20, I was 22. 22. Yeah, yeah, I was 22. And so, going back for a minute, the Floribama, where I learned how to play a lot of music down there, that was our main club gig, uh, there was a festival there once a year called the Frank Brown International Songwriters Festival. And all these guys from Nashville would come down and play this two- or three-week festival, and they were all songwriters. So, I didn't grow up playing any um, cover music. It was all original music with songwriters and old jazz and blues covers and stuff like that, uh, if any covers. It was old, obscure stuff. So, that was a pretty big part of my upbringing was not I didn't grow up playing any top 40 music we didn't have top 40 radio in the house my parents were huge uh connoisseurs of music Sam Bush and all the bluegrass and new acoustic guys and a lot of folk music and old rock and roll um not the Beatles and Led Zeppelin but like um a lot of Bob Dylan and Van Morrison and kind of that kind of stuff you know but my uncle had a record collection that was anything from Johnny Winter to some Leonard Skinner and Almond Brothers stuff, some Southern Uncles rock and blues. Uncles are so cool, right? Uncles are the best. <laughs> yeah, changed my. You know, those guys changed my life. So, I was always kind of exposed to that type of music. And the Songwriters Festival was our, my direct link to Nashville. And some of those guys, big songwriters up there, they saw me play and and they knew they were like, "Man, you got to come to Nashville." So that I was about eighteen or nineteen, and the guy goes, "I was in the pool room at the Bama uh, about four o'clock in the morning," and Carl Jackson goes. Hey, man, have you ever thought about moving to Nashville? And, and I thought, well, man, what am I supposed to do? Just pack up my bags and leave? And he goes, yeah, we did it when we were 30 years old with two kids. So, yeah, that's what you wow. do. You need to come up here. So, I eventually, it started getting, you know, like, took me a couple years. But when I was around 22, I just, I did. I got an apartment on Music Row. Uh, lived there for two years and then lived on 12 South uh, in Nashville for about eight years. Then I bought the property in Berry Hill, and and I still have that. That was six years ago. And then now I'm in East Nashville. So, it's been pretty incredible we started us postgraduate music school got the online lesson school going with artist works which is an amazing thing i've been doing for a couple years i still do sessions in nashville and and the teaching thing is great and then touring with john oates here is why i'm talking to you we're here in west hollywood uh we're going to play at the troubadour tonight with john oates we've been out on about a 12 or 13 day this leg of the tour and then uh, i don't really tour a whole lot like i like i used to now that I've got these other things going on, I can kind of chill in Nashville. Yeah. But I love working with John. Of all the ar- Dude, artists I've worked with, he's by far the greatest. I mean, it's it's really cool. That's super cool, man. Let's yeah. listen to a track.
0: You're on his new album, which is called Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess you're playing electric guitar pretty much throughout. Yeah, I'm it?
1: playing all the electric guitar. It's it's The band is, of course, John. Uh, and then um, he's playing some guitar. I'm playing electric guitar. We've got Russ Paul on steel. Nat Smith on cello, Sam Bush on mandolin, Steve Mackey on bass, and uh, Josh Day on drums. He loves all the Delta blues stuff. He's a huge fan of like uh, Mississippi John Hurt and, and all these guys that played you know fingerstyle guitar, um, Delta blues style, Doc Watson, a lot of these guys like that. He loves that stuff. What he did was he kind of this is kind of a shout out to to all his his influences you know and right, right. there's a lot of great original uh songs on here but there's also some very obscure wow. covers great that he stuff did. on there. it's cool stuff if you ever
2: ever speak to angels if you ever
1: of people don't know that about you know an 80s pop star like that uh is really rooted in like delta blues and and uh really rootsy americana stuff so this is kind of like his uh blues americana record and but and beyond you know well what's one of your favorite tracks from the album that i like playing i like arkansas that you that's steel guitar that's russ paul on the steel through a bunch of distortion yeah he's playing he plays through it with a lot of effects that's cool now what about Dig Back Deep Dig Back Deep now I know I did play the guitar solo on that we did this at Addiction Studios with David Kalmusky, who's uh, the guy from Journey uh, owns that studio it's just a beautiful spot in Berry Hill really a great studio that was fun
2: Dick, back,
1: yeah, dick, I was playing this guitar. No, I, I was playing one of Russ's other Telecasters that he brought that day, and I never played the guitar before, and Russ had it, and uh, I said, man, let me play that on a couple tracks. And I think I ended, up, I ended up playing it on half the day at least. And then I used one of David Kalmusky's Matchless uh, AC30s. Did they make oh, an AC 30s. No, no, 300? no. It was, DC, uh, yeah, 30 yeah. The DC 30. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and the AC. That yeah. That, of course, that was Vox. But I loved the way that amp sounded on that. It was, it was cool. I don't own a Matchless, but they're great in the studio. What's your main amp for like touring and stuff? Like for tonight? So with this tour, we're we're flying everywhere because we're playing pretty much you know a travel day and then a gig, travel day, gig. So we're flying all over the place. So I'm I'm using a I had a really small pedal board built. What I wanted to do was I wanted to be able to travel as light as I could. So we're all using backline amps except John is carrying his little A A E R acoustic amp, which is like the size of a lunchbox. Right. Sounds really good So he checks that But I'm just getting um, We're using uh, SIR backline Basically everywhere With uh, I get a deluxe reverb reissue Fender deluxe reverb reissue One night I think I played out of a Princeton uh, reissue Because we were in a really super small place But uh, that usually works well for me
0: You push it to where it's breaking up a little bit Because those things are loud
1: Sometimes or... Yeah, yeah, yeah And and um, you know John's funny He doesn't mm-hmm. want He doesn't like the bass Or the or lead guitar facing Blowing right up behind him So i I'll I'll sometimes scoot over a little bit or I'll turn the amp just a little bit to accommodate him and then I can crank it up pretty good. I mean yeah, for a fender Dude, I use
0: those all the time and I literally put them on the on their backs. Yeah, yeah. Put some under the very back so there's not like the tubes right on the right, right. floor. Yeah, yeah. Basically they're on their backs.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what I do from playing in clubs a lot, I growing up too, you know. I don't ever put amps up on a chair. I don't ever tilt them towards me. I just like to set them on the ground and have all the treble blow past my legs. Because the treble develops once you get out, it it tames down a little bit. Once you get 20 or so feet, maybe less in front of it. So the last thing I want to hear is that speaker blowing right up at my head. So I'll set it just behind me a little bit, and then you know put my pedal board out kind of close to the front of the stage. To me, that that I like the way that sounds because the treble is not shooting right up at my ear.
0: I love that sound, but do you ever feel like you're killing people in the front row if there's a like intimate situation? Yeah, probably
1: so. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they're like holding their you know? ears, going, "Turn up the vocals." But, but most
1: of the time, the the sound man will tell me if if we're doing that, and then right. I'll and then like in New York, we played at Joe's Pub we had a really hard time getting the vocals up where they needed to be over the band in there. And so I put, uh, I think I was playing through a Blues Junior that night and I put the the other spare amp directly in front of it. I just put it right in front of it and the other one was mic'd. So he had control of the, of the PA rather than me just blowing out the front row, oh, but so
0: you put the spare
1: amp in front as a baffle. I just use it as a, bap- as a baffle. Yeah, genius. Yeah, so I never it, thought of that. You know, whatever works. I mean, I'm not a super technical guy, but uh, so with with most most Fender amps, you know, I'll, I'll at least turn them up to four and a half or five if I can do it. I think four and a half, five is a sweet spot. If you start getting above five, it, they get a little too nasty for me. But I like the way they feel. The notes kind of jump out if it's a good sounding amp. They they jump out really nicely around four and a half or five is really the sweet spot for me for any Fender amp. And that's the right. thing about you know a lot, a lot of people that are like, man, what, what amp should I get? And I'm like, well, the Deluxe Reverb is perfect if you're just going to have one amp. That size is great because you can play... Some different size venues, but really you got to have a bunch of different amps for different situations. So, if I have a Princeton and I'm playing at a coffee shop style place or something like that, a small club, I'm still going to turn that Princeton up. Oh yeah. It's just it's about getting that sound and that attack and that feel on your guitar at those different levels. If you got a super yeah. reverb and you go into that gig, you're, you're going to turn that thing on five. You're going to blow everybody away. But if you're uh-huh. outdoors or you're at a big like you're at the Fillmore or some big place. You're going to be able to take a Twin or a Super and crank it up and get get a great tone.
0: Every amp has a sweet spot.
1: It's all about the sweet spot and having enough amps to where if you are gigging a lot of different situations, you're going to be able to to get your tone and cover. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, you don't want to take a Super Reverb or a Twin into a coffee shop and have to turn it up (laughs) to like, you know, one. It's going to sound terrible. It's but sound flat, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. You won't get any feel out of it. Well, I can't them. remember what the initial question was <laughs> now at this point, but I think I covered uh, that and more. Well, before I forget, what is on your little pedal board that you uh, yeah, travel uh, with? I mean, so I, I took my my large session board that's in Nashville. I've got a large session board, and then I've got a little bit smaller, like a pedal train. Junior that has about eight pedals on it and what I did was uh that one was a li- was a little too big I couldn't fit it in my backpack so what I wanted to do on this tour Was I'd scaled down I got exact tone solutions in Nashville to build me a small little travel board Which they do amazing work Barry and, and Greg over there are fantastic and I wanted to I wanted to be able to put the Pedal board in my suitcase and then when I get to the hotel I take it out of my suitcase and put it in my backpack to go to sound check in the gig So this pedal board is, uh, it's got a tuner, a Boss Tuner, into an RC Booster, into a Nobles, a Vintage Nobles ODR-1. And then I go into a T-Rex, one of the original T-Rex trim, trimster, I think it's called, that red tremolo. And then into a Strymon Brigadier Delay, and then out to the amp. Um, And then the power supply is under the Brigadier to where I can tap nicely on the the tap tempo of the brigadier's lifted up a little bit it sits right on top of the one spot uh and i can't remember the 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 numbers of that power supply but it's one of the nice little one spot power supplies well let's let's take a little jam break let's play let's play one of your tunes off off your record absolutely let's do it
0: you're gonna have to pick up your guitar
1: oh (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) we're gonna play one live yeah let's see if we can now shit now i gotta remember them (laughs) um how about uh Oh yeah, we can play that. Yeah, let's I love play a little this, bit of this, that. I love this tune, Shag Shag Rug Burn. It's hard to play anything without a band here. Let's see. Uh,
2: I'll see ya. One, two, three, four, one.
0: You never even got to the bridge oh, pickup. Oh no.
2: Yeah, all
1: right,
0: what did you think about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: that's no, that, that's a great tune. That's good, dude. We record
0: that. Yeah, I paused there for a second because I charted it
1: out. I realized, hey, this song has a bridge. What was it? So. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know the whole t- you know the song better than I do. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know about that.
0: But I always do stuff with like Roman numerals too. But I think it's kind of similar to the Nashville system, where you can just move it around to different keys. Right. But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So the yeah the Nashville number system, if you don't know this, is based on the degrees of the scale. Yeah. it's just so it's so easy people i think maybe overthink it a little bit but you know if you're an a a is one b is two c sharp is three and d you, is four and you literally e is the, five
0: you do the chords that are in the scale though
1: right that could be one two, th- absolutely yes yeah. so so basically you know one two three four five six seven one if somebody says play a flat seven on a chart you're gonna play a to g yeah if somebody says play a one four five, you're gonna play A, D, E, A. That's exactly what I do, but I just got yeah. used to using
0: Roman numerals. So I, well, that works of, too. It's, it's same, still,
1: still, yeah, still numbers. It's the handiest thing. Like yeah, if, and if somebody says, hey, play a play a one six two five, you're gonna play uh, A, you know, six B, my, uh, B seven, uh, E to A. So. Yeah. So it's a pretty handy way to do it, and, the, and yeah. the, the you're right. The reason why that works so well is because if you're on a session, and you've got you know the demo of the song is in G, and you get to the session, and the singers like uh, or the producer or wh- whoever decides is like, you know what, this song would sound a lot better for you if we were in F sharp. You know, and then you, yeah. you then you don't have to sit and rewrite the whole song oh, yeah. in F sharp. You just go, you just change one letter at the top of the page yeah. from G to F sharp, and you're in the same you're in the same thing. So. It's huge, yeah. Once, it's pretty uh, great.
0: Once you learn your chord progressions and you know that a 1-6-2-5, you know... Yeah. Right. Totally. You can hear all these progressions in, right. in your head. Yeah. And you don't it, even need to know the names. It's, it really helps. Names you know, just get in the way.
1: <laughs> they do. And, and for me, you know, I think a lot of people like doing lessons with me because of the fact that I'm not teaching a lot of th- music theory. I'm basically just showing you how to play... The way i learned how to play which is the the importance of knowing your chord shapes and you know of course knowing what sounds go with 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 what i'm not just playing out of shapes and scales and stuff like that of course we're trying to make music that's emotional and has some feeling to it but you do have to know your different chord inversions and some arpeggios and scales around those chords because it's all about just connecting those shapes you don't want to only know one c chord and be able to play over that C chord, because then you're you're limited and you're stuck, you know? So to be able to play up the fingerboard and yep. not get lost, you have to know those different chord inversions and all the, the information around those, which, you know, when I learned that when I was maybe 14 or 15 years old, it completely changed my whole life, because then I could see the shapes, and I could see how if you learn your D position uh chord and all the shapes around that if you move it up to g or a or c yeah. or b or whatever it's the same so the beauty of the guitar is everything repeats right so once you learn if you learn a lick in one area you should you you'll, you kind of know it everywhere at that point you know well one thing
0: i love about you is that you you learn you learned in the trenches man you
1: learned to groove mm-hmm. and play
0: a million different songs by the time you're probably 18 and mm-hmm. then and you ended up in Nashville. Yeah. Maybe you could tell us about you got a pretty prestigious working class gig in town with Don Kelly. Yeah. Tell us tell people about Don Kelly and, and where that gig is. I will.
1: And to preface that real quick, I will say this. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is the fact of what you just said of a lot of guys that are, you know, my age and 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 older, of course. We when we were kids growing up we didn't have the internet was not so prevalent you know we didn't have youtube i was putting still putting the needle on records i'm just old enough to be able to have had to do that you know so basically you you, i mean that's a huge point of kids today they you have to get out and play you have to get with a band you have to get in some situations where you're where you're kind of thrown into the sink or swim situation of of, of that experience of playing in a band, playing live, play at a club, play some gigs, get out and play in those kinds of situations. Because these days, and it's great because we have YouTube and all the learning facilities there. I mean, you know, being able to pull up anything in the world on your computer. But I, I think a lot of kids are wanting to just go, they're getting their 10,000 hours in playing, but it's in their room. And then they want yeah. to jump right to being a YouTube star it's a good point. I think you got to get ten thousand hours grooving with other musicians. You too. You got to groove with other musicians. There's no, there's nothing in the world that can take that experience. You know, to, to that yeah. can that can equal that experience. You have to have that experience of playing, and that's one of the good things of Nashville is you can't you you know as much as we talk about Broadway being kind of a a trench down there. If you're a young player and you move to town, you can go down there and work four hours a night playing songs, and man, you're going to get a huge education doing that and that's when i moved to town i was super lucky that broadway wasn't as crazy as it is now now there's 40 clubs down there probably at least with tons of music and all these you know different crazy it's nuts down there now but when i moved to town there was a handful of of great places people were still playing real country music you could go into legends on the corner and hear a great steel guitar player you could hear some really good music now it's gotten a little more watered down because of you know they want to have djs on the third floor and and all that shit but when i met don kelly when i got my apartment on music row the only thing i knew to do was go down there and try to get a gig with those guys because that was the best kind of street cred local gig in town that's the don kelly band gig at roberts and he still does it although i think he's about to retire coming up here pretty soon but well, he's been down there for so long but like you know brent mason got his start in that band red volkart played in that band johnny highland got his start in that band uh, then I did it for four years. JD Samo came in after me. Daniel Donato came in after him. Now there's another kid down there that's like sixteen or something years old who's gonna be, you know he's he's gonna be the next cat, but Uh, when I went down there, I would just stand in the doorway and watch those guys play for hours and met Don and I knew all the guys and I always, I just told Don, I said, Hey man, if you ever need a sub for this gig, uh, I was in a band on the Gulf Coast where we did a lot of these same songs and and a lot of roots music. I said, you know, I love the blues. I know you love the blues and, um, and I'd love to do this sometimes. So he never let me sit in. He never called me to do anything. And that went on for months. And then, um, uh, one of the songwriters that I knew from the Floribama, from the festival that I was talking about earlier, he ended up walking by on the sidewalk and saw me and Don standing there talking one night. His name's Joe Sun. So Joe comes up and goes, hey, Don, he goes, man, you need to get this kid up to sit in one night. And then finally, that's what it took. Once Don heard from somebody else that he's n- had known for a while, he said, he said, all right, man, come out next Sunday, bring your guitar and, uh, and we'll get you up to play a couple tunes. Well, I did, and I did that about two or three times. And then uh, Don goes, hey, man, Johnny's leaving this gig. If you want the gig, you can have it. And I was like, of course, you know. And that was my start to being able to not have to leave town to make a living. I I played with Don for a year or two, you know, Wednesday. Uh, I played with him for four years total, but the first year or two – I was pretty exclusively just playing with him down there Wednesday through. We played Wednesday through Saturday, 6 to 10 every week. It was a lot of playing. And, man, my chops were burning on that gig because we'd play super fast tempos and all this crazy stuff. And then I got the gig with Patty Loveless. She came down and heard me one night, and I ended up touring with her and playing on a couple of her records yeah. And then um, when that, this
0: is like a Grammy winning record, right?
1: Or yeah, one won a Grammy. I think that record was called Mountain Soul Two, and I can't even remember what song I played. I played a bunch of uh, mandolin and acoustic guitar on that record. Uh, I didn't play any electric guitar on that record. I don't right. think I might have played oh, a couple okay. tunes, but then when that gig ended, I started. Uh, Jerry, I got a call from Jerry Douglas, who I got. he Sam Bush, I've known for a long time, who was actually playing with us tonight at the Troubadour with John as well as Paul Franklin um but uh sam gave jerry my number J- jerry ends up calling me i was at the amp shop todd sharp's amp shop that day and getting something worked on and the phone rang and i picked it up and uh, it was jerry douglas he goes hey man um would you be interested in playing some guitar with me i said absolutely i was the patty gig had ended and i was it was perfect timing so and i was still working with don the good thing about don was when i went out on the road he would get a sub and then when i came back i had my gig back so incredible it was amazing yeah who does that so I started working with Jerry played on a couple of his records and then toured with him for six or seven years and then when that ended I kind of came off the road
0: people who might not realize like Jerry Douglas these names that you're just throwing about are some of the most amazing musicians like Sam Bush Mm -hmm. Jerry Douglas yeah those were my childhood heroes the monster Jimi Hendrix of the Dobro right yeah Tell us, what
1: did you learn from playing with Jerry Douglas for four years? Yeah, it's pretty incredible because me and my uncle we used to joke. We'd listen to all these records down on the Gulf Coast, and you know Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush to me were like those were like Godzilla to me growing up, you know, and um, those were my heroes and. Um, So we would always joke around. We'd hear the Dobro on all these records, and we go, we just laugh and go, I wonder who that is, because of course it's Jerry. He played on everything, (laughs) and you can tell he's got those signature moves. He's really good, man. And you know he's a big guy. He's a tall guy. He's got a power. He's powerful, and that thumb, man, with that with that thumb pick. I mean, he just digs in. He uses real big strings, and he's just got the power behind that instrument that he gets tone that nobody else can get and his phrasing and musicality is just i mean he's a genius on that instrument do you remember a song from one of the records that you guys recorded that i could fly in here oh god uh i was on one of his records called glide and i'm on all the songs but then uh i played some mandolin acoustic and electric guitar on that record and then uh and then we played on his christmas record which is called jerry christmas which i think i named for him i said <laughs> jerry you ought to call this jerry christmas like merry christmas but jerry And then he ends up calling it that, but pretty funny. But so, uh, um, actually uh, it's a Christmas record, but it's a beautiful Christmas record. If you ever get a chance to listen to that record, it's really, really good. Jerry was, uh, that was the most challenging music I've ever had to play in my life. it was it was just so him. I mean, all his original material is just uh, it's very creative. It's odd time signatures. There's weird uh, you know stuff that you, you really have to work on with that music. It was like you know every night we were you know we had to really be focused and and lasered in to play that music. So with Jerry, and we opened up for Paul Simon for three months, got to hang with Steve Gadd and Bikithi Kamalo and all those guys. Wow. It was an amazing tour. But the thing I learned about Je- from Jerry the most, and I've always been kind of a seat-of-the-pants player where I like to push stuff as far as I can and get close to falling off a cliff and then trying to recover as you know, nice. best I can. That's what's exciting to me about playing music is pushing stuff to that level. And I learned even more of that from Jerry who would – you know, when he plays his gig with Allison Krauss, he's very supportive and he's playing beautiful stuff behind her vocals and arranging these tunes and like doing this whole thing. But when he does his own stuff, his solo band stuff, I mean that's all his original that's his that's his chance to, to get all his his crazy ideas out, right? So it's limitless and 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 um, there's no rules really in that band. So he would encourage all of us to just I mean, we would be pushing each other to the limit, you know, him pushing us, us pushing him. Uh, We had an amazing drummer that would really just like, you know, as far as we wanted to build with our solos, he would go right with us and even push us farther. So the thing I learned the most about Jerry was even on a stage opening up for Paul Simon or playing Radio City Music Hall or Telluride or any of these awesome gigs we played, he would always hang himself out on, on the edge to where he was almost falling apart. push the music as far as it could possibly go so he kind of instilled in me that uh without saying anything just by working with him every night that that it was okay to push 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 you know and that's what i i try to do today if i if i get a chance to really uh cut loose on my own stuff or with john if he lets me go crazy on a solo i'll push it as far as we can absolutely take it without falling apart to me, that's what's exciting about playing music. And he made me realize that no matter how many people you're playing in front of, it's okay to take some chances, you know? That's killer, man. And that's different than playing with an artist. Like, if you're backing up, like with Oates, there's certain songs where, of course, we're going to be extremely tasteful and play the right thing for the right song. But in a situation where you're doing your own music uh, that's, instrumentally, you know, that's instrumental, uh, then that's the time to, to push it, you know? So it's all, it all comes down to being tasteful and playing to the song, you yeah. know? So that's my take on that. But Nashville really instills that yeah. in you, too, the, the importance of, of playing to the song. It's such a song town. People want to hire yeah. you because you have a lot of horsepower, but you also know how to restrain that and play, you know. I mean, some you know I might be on a session and just do this. Yeah. You know, that might be yeah. the feel of the, of the song. <laughs> or I might play a little, you know.
0: Or dude you or do so like much that. beautiful stuff gotta do another album break here yeah yeah for sure like we've heard you blaze a bunch today already and i know you're barely warming up we just got your new you set of daddario strings yeah, on there yeah, what, what gauge use?
1: tens i'm using i've used 10 uh through 46 daddario sets since i was 13 years old and i i saw an ad in a uh, guitar player magazine f- f- uh, with mark Knopfler. Using the D'Addario 10s. tens, good magazine. I, I switch. Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, <laughs> the best. And um, and so when when I saw that ad, I immediately started using ten through forty six, and I've used them ever since. And most most people I know that are doing, you know, that are that are, you know, players are using that set. You know, I mean, there's guys that are that are that have a little bit more of their own kind of unique thing to where they're using giant strings yeah. or weird sets or something like that but most nashville guys i know are or guys like uh, i think even like landau and those guys that are they're we're playing a lot of different styles 10 through 46 is the oh. greatest
0: hey man i'm with you i've been using daddario for the same amount of time mm-hmm. since I was, you know since i was that age yeah i would also recommend i don't know if you ever checked out their balanced tension i accidentally no. got a balanced tension set which means it's 10 to 46, but a couple of the strings are a different gauge to give you a more, like, what is, like, a same amount of tension. So when you bend your, like, third string and your second string, they feel kind of like... Oh, wow. I just was was playing it, and I noticed, man, this second string, this B string feels really good. It's a little beefier, so it's just a little bigger than what it would be on a 10 to 46
1: set. That's cool. Maybe I'll check that out. I'm always... uh, I'm such a, like... I'm such a non... uh, Technical person, yeah. I mean, I'm the guy that finds one thing and uses it forever. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I know. You know? Me it's too. So yeah. Crazy.
0: Your fingers are used to like bending, you know, these yeah. strings forever.
1: Well, and that's the thing is like a lot of a lot of people want to learn like the country bends and stuff, and that's it, man. Your hands really get the muscle mem- memory down to where you know. So. <laughs> your your hand kind of knows.
0: Yeah, your hand, your hand knows. Let me tell you. Those bends are so in tune, what you're doing. They're well, so sweet.
1: Yeah, I've tried to work on it because they sound so bad when they're out of tune, which I mean, every once in a while, I'll, I've definitely hit a ringer, but I'm still, these st- strings are still stretching a little bit. But I try to tell my students, like, with the bending, yeah. it is. Your, your hand yeah. becomes like a little mechanism, you know? It's like a yeah. little servo that knows exactly how far to go. But uh, another thing, a good thing that you can do is when you're bending, a good way to bend in tune is to take the note that you're going to bend, like if you're an A. If I'm going to bend up to that G, I mean up to the A from G, uh, I'll fret the G first, or I'll fret the A first and get that note in my head and then bend up to it that's a good way to practice yeah. bending, so you're in tune. Yeah. So there's a few little tricks like that, but yeah, bending in tune is crucial because if not, it's it really sounds bad.
0: Well, oh, anyway, what, what I was going to say a couple weeks yeah. ago is we've definitely heard you starting to warm up and do some crazy stuff, but I love also your mellow side too. Like oh, the thanks. last song on the record, for instance, "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry."
1: Tell us who's singing there. She just kills me. And then you're playing to go along with it. Oh, thanks. Well, that's Becca Bramlett, whose parents were Bonnie and Delaney. Bonnie Bramlett. They were legends in rock and roll and uh, lived out here in LA for a long time. And uh, she grew up with like Eric Clapton and all these guys kind of stones and everybody hanging out at their at their house, you know.
2: So well time.
1: she's a she's a rock and roll spirit true and true and true and um uh, she's an amazing singer she's got an amazing personality she's a very colorful person um so she's very off the cuff but brilliant and so when she came in to do this song we were in sound emporium a room in nashville which is a beautiful legendary studio with a great vibe in it and um And she came in and she wanted to, instead of singing on a beautiful uh, Neumann or whatever microphone that they had, you know, some $10,000 microphone, she wanted to sing through an SM58 sitting Indian style on the floor in the middle of the room right in front of me. This is like a one-take song. We did this song one time, and that was it. We were done. So it's live. And I did this song for my mom because she loves Hank Williams. So I always dedicate these records to my mom and dad because if it wasn't for them, obviously I wouldn't be here. And the fact that they've exposed me to such great music growing up as a kid. So we went in. It was me, Glenn Wharf on bass, Fred Eltringham on drums, Kevin McKendree on keys, and Becca singing. And uh, we just, man, we, we, we played the song, and, 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 and that was it. We didn't do anything else. It was a one take, and she's sitting on the floor singing through that SM-57. or awesome, uh, 58. Man and uh and that was it so the guitar i'm playing on that song is an old tysco guitar that i got from a guy named jeff sen who builds guitars in nashville and it's uh it's just i found some out of phase kind of sound on the pickups that i liked it was kind of raccooter ish and uh and again it was one take so i I luck i got i got lucky and there's There's a little vibrato on there or something yeah i think i had some tremolo yeah i was probably using a couple effects probably had delay and some tremolo on there which for me is always a subtle it's always subtle effects rootsy stuff but uh but yeah, that's the tight score. I played slide on that whole song. What kind of slide do you like to use? I just like a glass slide, like a uh, either like the Coroseden bottle kind of Dwayne Allman style, or just a regular like a Dunlop or something kind of a something that has a little bit of weight to it. Uh, and I use it on my ring finger on my left hand, of course. And uh yeah, mute a little bit behind there. Uh slide is all about the muting if if you don't know that, but it makes it a lot easier when you start muting behind the slide with your other finger. But yeah, I got lucky on that song to have a to a pretty pretty soulful little take on there and then Now isn't Becca also on the uh, on another tune, Nobody's Fault but Mine. Yeah, she's on no Nobody's Fault But Mine. we also played some slide with the mccrary sisters yeah and and danny flowers so danny flowers is a really good buddy of mine great guitar player and he wrote uh tulsa time really he's a fantastic singer and songwriter in nashville also another really colorful amazing character so it's danny flowers becca bramlett and all four mccrary sisters who are the daughters of the fairfield four the famous uh vocal group gospel vocal group
2: Nobody's fault but mine. If I die, my soul belongs. Nobody's fault but mine. I got a Bible in my heart.
1: came in and nailed it of course you know i don't ever overthink these records i mean they they just come together Uh, i either have some song ideas that i'm that i'm working up that i think would be good to go on here or i'll pick some um like for this record i wanted to have some vocal guests so i just picked some stuff that i've been listening to since i was a kid a lot of the paul butterfield stuff and some old classics buck dancers choice the first track on here's uh the first time I heard it was my uncle playing it but then realized that Taj Mahal had cut that a bunch of times and I wanted to do like a new take on that and um, the original stuff is just my ideas that I come up with that are either groove or, or chordal or melody based. And then they just go from there. Beautiful stuff. I bet commodity sounds like an original. Maybe that's an original. Yeah. People really like that song. I think because of the melody is so strong. Yeah. Let's train, let's jam it. I charted it out. You <laughs> did. Oh my God, man. He's, this guy's yeah. put me on the spot. He knows, he's, he knows my songs <laughs> and my record better than I do. But I'll, just one more thing I want to say is with these records, you know, the, the thing that I can do on here is put, people together like the producing is so much of a casting call but i knew if i picked those songs and called these guys to play on them that something cool was going to happen i knew i knew it and you know, i couldn't agree with you, you more man sometimes you don't get lucky sometimes you do but i'm lucky to have been in nashville long enough and to where i can call these guys my friends and have them come out and play on here but i know i knew if i did new walking blues and called jimmy hall that it was going to be, I knew it was going to be, it was going to be something. And and he's also just just amazing on Mojo working. He's incredible. And he also sings with Jeff Beck, you know, which is, uh, I'm pretty proud of that to have him on here and call him a friend. He's from the Gulf Coast. And he plays
0: the harp too, right? Plays the harp. That harp tone. I I always sometimes
1: think they get better guitar tones than we guitar players get. He plays his ass off and he's playing through like a PV Tweed Delta (laughs) Blues amp or something crazy.
0: And you just play a ripping solo on that song
1: oh thanks man you know most of this all most stuff that i play on these things it's like i always want to go back and fix it or change it or whatever and then my buddies they're always good about saying look man just leave it It's not, gonna, you know, it's not ever going to get better. It's just going to be different. you know. So you can go in and play 20,000 solos and try to clean up everything and change everything and punch that note in and punch that note in. But what's ha- what happens is you just get farther and farther and farther away from the live performance, which sometimes you just got to stop and go, hey, man, that's what happened. If you don't like that one note, but the rest of your playing on there is, is fine, then just leave it. Because the yeah. more you start trying to chase perfection, the farther you get away from the live take, which I'm learning that it's just like, hey, man, yeah. put it out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's nothing wrong. There ain't no shame in any of those solos on that
0: record. Well, and like you, you, you said, every song has a story about it, like in terms of the personnel that well, you create. It's not just a noodly guitar record or well, even thanks. a choppy, tasty record. It's beyond all that. It's actually cohesive album
1: well thank you very much i mean i appreciate you saying that and and like i said i try not to overthink it um and of course we care about music but it's also something that that you really don't want to if you overthink music it sounds like it so you just like i said call the right people and and have some good songs and you're pretty good but uh the one thing last thing i'll say about this record that i'm proud of is it's basically a uh, it's a nod to all the influences that I've had from when I was a kid. So, uh, some of the acoustic songs on there, uh, from my bluegrass days and acoustic days to yeah. some of the more, you know, avant garde uh, original stuff to the country shuffles to the blues stuff to it's the, so great. Some of the like, gospel stuff. Yeah, like this bluegrass jam with Crossing the
0: Bridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sam Bush. Yeah.
1: Sam, I mean, he's a monster commando. Sam's a total monster, and he, he's like he's got more of a rock and roll spirit than he does a bluegrass spirit to me but of course he's legendary from I mean, all the records he's played on and the records he's done himself with Newgrass Revival some of the most legendary stuff uh, the Strength and Numbers stuff with Mark O'Connor and Jerry Douglas, the Bela Fleck records that he's played on that are legendary like uh, Drive, Bela Fleck Drive all this stuff that goes back so, so, so far, but Sam Bush in my household growing up was like God. I mean, my mom and dad idolized New Grass Revival and Sam Bush. They followed them, guys like The Grateful Dead. So I got to be around that music from when I was in the womb and go to festivals and stuff. So I, I truly think that, like, you know, if you're around music, what you know, what I would consider high quality music from the time you're uh, you're you're born and before that even. You start to understand and kind of feel, even before you can put your hands on the fingerboard, that emotion and that rhythm and those notes and that the sonic qualities of music are being instilled in you as a kid, you know. So, when it does come time when you're seven or eight years old to start putting your hands on the fingerboard or whatever instrument you're picking up, you've kind of got a little bit of that rhythm and tonality and intonation and your ears developing uh from just being exposed to that much music as a kid i think that's a huge part of it dude you got it in you that's for sure you know well thanks man you ever play with capos no not not often on electric unless i'm in the studio yeah and somebody plays something like e flat which i i hate e flat man yeah i hate a flat e flat and d flat. Are, yeah. any key other than that man i'm good but i, I hate playing in those keys oh, yeah. yeah yeah let's see what uh
0: let's see uh oh commodity yeah that's beautiful yeah I, oh, was, yeah. I was gonna do the little bass part on that if I can remember it, but it's such a memorable tune. yes yeah, so let's do beautiful. It. All right, I'll, I'll see, see if it. I can see get through it. it. Me too. <laughs> One, two, three. Three.
1: in a minute. <laughs> shit. So yeah, that chord.
0: Uh... That's got to be one of the top five most beautiful guitar chords. Like a D over G. Thanks,
1: or... yeah. <laughs> or I'll play it there sometimes. Hey man, it's a beautiful tune. Oh shit.
0: Thanks man. Yeah, you d- man, you did your homework. You got all that stuff down. Almost. There are definitely some I stepped in some buckets here and there. And yeah, there. me too. Hey, just a quick little break here to remind you that if you're enjoying this awesome hang with Guthrie Trap, then please take a moment to check out Audio-Technica and their incredible microphones, including the new AT2020 USB+. This is a super hip piece of gear, and remember, you can try to win one, especially if you're a U.S. resident, at guitarplayer.com slash contest slash contest. Guthrie, again, many thanks to Audio-Technica for bringing you so many episodes of No Guitar Is Safe podcast. All right, let's get back to the guitar action with Guthrie. Maybe you could tell us about a uh, You're Still On My Mind featuring a couple heavy hitters on there.
1: Yeah, uh, Paul Franklin and Vince Gill, right?
2: Jickbox is playing a honky tongue song. One more I keep saying And then I'll go home
1: What good You're still on my mind, yes. Yeah, so we used to play that. The first time I heard that song was Playing With Don Kelly. And I think we did it I don't know what key we're in on the record I think it's A But we used to play it uh... Maybe it was an A, yeah Uh, So we'd start on the 5 So yeah, just a great country song The Birds did it I think George Jones cut it uh, I can't remember the guy's name that wrote it. Who wrote that song? It's got got to open up the CD to find out. But uh, it's a very obscure songwriter. But that uh, to me, that's like the quintessential country shuffle. Paul Franklin takes an amazing solo on there.
0: Talk about him for just a second. Oh cause... God, he's
1: playing with us tonight too. He's flying in this afternoon. Pedal steel magician. Pedal steel magician. Absolutely. He's just got so much history, and he's studied all the legendary guys. He can play any style, anything in the world. You know, some of the—of course, he's played on so many, like, thousands and thousands of records out of Nashville. But some of the stuff that I like him on the most is the Dire Straits record, On Every Street, which is the last one they made before Mark Knopfler started doing solo records, solo titled records, right? So that record's called Dire Straits, On Every Street. Paul's all over it, and it is amazing. And then he also did. Uh, he also played on all the uh, Nodding Hillbillies stuff, which was dire, uh, basically Mark Knopfler, Guy Fletcher, and some of those guys. That record is incredible if nobody has it. There's some great guitar playing on that record. Those are two of my Desert Island records. I mean, I love Mark Knopfler, and Paul plays his ass off on all that stuff. And, of course, all the Vince Gill stuff, tons of records. If it's not John Huey on Vince Gill's records, it's Paul. There's a great record that Paul and Vince did together called Bakersfield, that's just like a classic country bible you know and and that record came out a couple years ago but just a fantastic record vince and paul are playing beautiful stuff on there he's incredible and uh, and and such a great guy paul is the kind of guy that when he came and cut this song it was at eight o'clock at night after a session that he had in franklin he was heading back to hendersonville where he lives and he stopped by my studio on barry hill to overdub on this song that would this song is so simple he would he could have played his solo and his parts on this song faster than it had taken him to set up his steel guitar. But he stayed for two and a half hours, told stories, you know, um, crafted an incredible solo, which uh, I've got some video of the bar slants he was doing. I'll show you before we leave here. It's absolutely insane. But man, the guy cares so much about the music. He wanted it to be, you know, incredible. So, it was amazing. He's got the greatest stories of touring and all the country music uh, folklore and stuff of Nashville. He's he's quite a, quite a guy. That's amazing
0: to have yeah. these this royalty on your record. And, and you've known Vince for a while, or
1: yeah, I have. I met him uh, for the first time when I was working with Patty uh, Loveless, and then um, God, that was years ago—fifteen years ago or something—and uh, fourteen years ago you know just you know he, he was amazing we'd go out and watch his sound checks he'd hand me that white telly and and go hey man check it out you know i'd play the guitar and we just got to be friends and and, and you know um he's a busy guy and uh, i was I, I asked him i called him and asked him if he'd sing a song on the record and and you know a couple like a week or so later i got a, a call back from voice really nice voicemail saying hey man I'll sing and play whatever you want on the record and and just it was very gracious and very cool and of course I saved the voicemail I've still got it and just really cool to to you know to be able to call him and for him to say yes you know and then it took a while once he did agree to do it it took forever to get him on it because he was prepping to go out and do the stuff with the Eagles and was you know super busy cat of course so uh, and I was needing to get the record done. This went on for probably two months, and I, the, a couple days before I was going to call him and go, "Hey, man, maybe we can get you on the next one if you if you'll if you'd be willing to do it." Uh, but uh, I got to get this thing finished. And so then, not too long after that, a couple days later, he we got an email, and he had done the track, and of course he sang beautifully, and uh, he didn't play any guitar. He said, "Man, you got the guitars covered." And he, and, and and then he goes. My only, which I was already going to put steel guitar on this song, of course, anyway, because it's a classic country shuffle. He goes, man, my only suggestion would be to get some steel guitar on there. And of course we did, you know, (laughs) and of course we got Paul because those guys play together so much. But yeah, I'm a lucky guy, man. very fortunate to be able to call those guys my friends and and be able to get them on, on the record as well as Charlie Worsham and, um, all the other guests that are on the record, I, I,
0: I love them all, you know. I love the Charlie Worsham track, Oh Lonesome Me. I mean, the one that he sings on. Yeah, that absolutely. A, that is such a catchy old, just classic. Yeah, I love that jam. old Don
1: Gibson song. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because if you listen to that track, Michael Rhodes played the bass, Greg Morrow played the drums, and if it, the bass line on that thing is so crazy because it's only like a two, you know, there's the, it there was like two or three chords in the whole song, but. The bass line is flat. it's flipped upside down. Yeah, it's, like it's the one. craziest
2: bass line. there must be some way I can lose these lonesome blues. Get about the past and find somebody new.
0: How do people learn about your school and teaching
1: well yeah you can uh, uh of course uh, all the social media i'm on all that facebook and instagram being the mo- the most active twitter not so much but uh and then my website just GuthrieTrap.com. you can go learn about uh Segway 61 which we call this program that i got involved with 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 these guys from a college in north carolina they they had this idea of doing a uh eight month postgraduate kind of uh You know, all the stuff that you don't learn in college about the music industry, all the things that we know that we need to be able to do to survive, you know, uh, uh, relationship equity, you know, having nine or 10 different irons in the fire, thinking more entrepreneurially. You know, all the things that, that we know now that, that it takes to survive, really, and just basic life skills that you can apply to almost anything you're doing. So they came to me to kind of help coordinate that and provide uh, mentors to teach this program, which is an, it's an amazing program. It's called Segway 61, uh, which is, I know, a kind of a weird name, but that's, you know, segwaying from your four-year program into the music industry. This is a great uh, opportunity to be able to study with all of Nashville's you know working professionals that come in and teach all these different workshops, from uh, songwriting to to uh, instrumentalists to engineers to publishing, tour managing, wow. entertainment law, uh, licensing, all the stuff that that encompasses the industry we teach in this in this school. so, we audition uh, people. We, t- we keep it very small. It's a boutique school of about 15 uh, to 18 students, and um, we teach it right there in Berry Hill where all the studios are, like Addiction and Blackbird and House of Blues and uh, all these different places, so it's very cool. I'm super proud of that, and then uh, I got approached from by a whole different, completely different situation was... The guys from Artist Works in Napa, California, that have uh, 35 different um, teachers and they do, you know, all the different kinds of music, different, you know, vocals and all the different stuff, but they wanted me to do the Country Electric Guitar School, so... Uh, Put together this entire curriculum from, you know, how to hold the pick all the way through the most advanced stuff. We went out and filmed for six days and filmed like 300 lessons. And it's a subscription-based learning platform. But the thing that they do that's a little different is you you have access to all these lessons. But then you also can do a video exchange where like a guy in Australia will send me a video and go, hey, man, I'm on lesson you know 25 in the intermediate section I'm, right. I'm having a little problem with this what do i do and he'll send me a video i'll get it in my queue go up to my music room turn on the video camera and send and send him our video response and then so the, there's yeah. this personal video exchange that i do with all these students that's and it's pretty it easy incredible for you
0: as a teacher right He's makes
1: it very easy for me yeah the workload is not yeah. that crazy and uh, not everybody i've probably got now i think i've been doing this for about 2 years with them I've got about 550 or 600 students all around the world. That's great. And of those students, not everybody sends you a video exchange. So it's not like I'm at the house having to respond to hundreds of videos. Of course, it eb- ebbs and flows, but but right. um, it's a great tool. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of progress with these guys. So if you get a chance, check out the Artist that's Works great.
2: I think truefire.com
0: school. does something similar over their Shout out to them because
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: they do yeah, a lot of that stuff too. Right, oh, That's great. Artist Works is Kicking butt.
1: Yeah, it's kicking butt and there's great teachers, Brian Sutton and Paul Gilbert and Nathan East, John Patitucci, Mike Marshall. There's a whole bluegrass Dang. school, a whole thing. But Does it
0: ever drive you crazy when you ha- when you're so blessed to be out on a tour with an amazing headliner such as John Oates from mm-hmm. Holland Oates and you're missing sessions back home or when you're teaching and No, because
1: you know, a lot of people think I'm in the studio every day in Nashville, which I'm not. Right. I mean I, I do a good I do a good amount of session work back home, but I don't play on any pop country records. People don't call me to do Jason Aldean records and Florida Georgia Line records, which I'm fine with. You know, most of my work is is stuff that's off of Music Row. It's either, it's either um, really kind of uh, independent record, songwriter records, um, um, or working with somebody like Garth Fundus or Frank Liddell, who's an older you know, I shouldn't say older, but they're older producers in town that are doing like we did the Pistol Annies record, which is it's great. I'm not a I'm not a great uh, pop country musician.
0: You know, we'll talk I, about I, pop country for a second. Like, hasn't country and the mainstream?
1: What do you think of this sort of
0: rockification? Where there's yeah, it's, it's definitely
1: almost... it's definitely changed. I mean, when I moved to Nashville, you know, what we consider country, what the, what the most of the players in Nashville consider country music is classic country music, you know, which are shuffles and ballads and train beats and cool, you know, even some kind of like Waylon halftime stuff. And, you know, those those are the guys that I listen to when I can, you know, think of the term country music. But now it's gotten to where I call it Southern pop music, you know. Right. Uh, it's just gotten so far away from anything that, that links it to real country music, or blues, or southern rock, or anything. I mean, it's to me, it's just completely gone into its own uh, its own thing. Which is, uh, there's a lot of loops. There's a lot of ar- hip hop in- in- influence. There's a lot of hard rock '80s rock influence. So stuff that I really can't contribute a whole lot to, you know um so i've found my own niche in nashville where i do well and i've gotten into doing my own gigs and working with people that i can that hire me to do what i do and that's great the pop country stuff is d- definitely not my favorite music and and if if it yeah. was i would be good at it you know it's like right. whatever you love you're going to be good at because you're going to listen to it and you're going to gravitate towards it so uh, you, we all end up where we're supposed to be you know well, you got young fingers and an old soul, Guthrie. I guess awesome. so. I, I should have moved to Nashville in the 60s <laughs> I think or the you, 50s. I think you did just fine. Oh, man. It's fun. I still love the town. There's a lot of cool stuff going on on, on the, uh, there, you know? Well, wow. thank you very
0: much for being on the show. Hey, man. Thank you.
1: Congratulations
0: Jim. on this new record.
1: Really, really appreciate you having me, man. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, you're not hearing that air conditioner too bad in the background. Oh.
0: Thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Nashville in West Hollywood today. Thanks for listening to No Guitar Is Safe, everybody. My name is Jude Gold. We're going to jam off into sunset. Be-
1: uh, see. Wh- how's that part Shit, I can't remember. I can't remember. It. I'm just, I am just jamming on the D. Are you in drop D still? Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, What's that? Just a uh, little. We can just vibe out. Oh,
0: That's no. sweet. three Trap in West Hollywood. The new album is called Life After Dark, available everywhere after March 9th.
1: Thanks for having me,
0: Jude. Thanks to Zoom for the Zoom recorders that we use to record this. Oh, that was sweet. Be sure to head to GuitarPlayer.com to check out all things Guitar Player magazine. Of course, keep it alive till you're 95. hotel oh okay (laughs) oh this is if this is just the band hotel you're doing all right buddy
2: yeah